0: you'll turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 8. We're going to look at Deuteronomy uh, chapters 7 and 8 today and answer the question, what is really in you? What are you made of? You've heard that statement, what are you made of? Well, God sometimes in His grace will show us what we're made of. Oftentimes we think, what we're made of is not really what we're made of. What we think our heart, is, the condition of our heart is, that's not really the condition. And God, in His grace, will reveal that to us. In His grace, there are times, just like He will see here today with Israel, that he will, he will show us what we're made of. He'll reveal to us, just like that little warning light. We've said it before, just like that warning light on the dashboard. We think everything's great with our car, and then that little... Yellow light, hopefully it's yellow, comes on. saying, you better check that oil. You better check that engine. You think everything's great. You know, I was reminded yesterday as we were... I want to say thank you to the guys. And I know on a Saturdays they're very busy, but there was about 20 guys. And then Debbie and and her children um, came out. And we worked at Miss Jackson's home through uh, Faith Tampa Bay. And I was reminded yesterday, we we were in... uh, I would fall, I clearly fell under the, there's a, there was a special labor, experienced labor, the electricians and the Rays and the Nathans and the Josh's of the world, they were all inside doing real specific, knowledgeable stuff. And then they like to call us general labor. That basically means I don't have a skill. So I have a heartbeat and, and I have a little bit of muscle, so they're like, you go out in the yard and, and work out there. I was reminded of something pertaining to today there was a huge tree about three of them that had fallen over they were broken in two they they weren't serving their purpose but they were hanging on to the roots by a thread but and there was still the, the thing that struck me is there was still some green growing out of them there was still some green branches that were growing these trees have been dead for a long time rotting, decaying. There was a little bit of life left in them, though. And as I I sat back and I looked at that as we were cutting it away, and I thought, you know what, I'm afraid that's how some of us are as Christians sometimes. We're, We're not serving our purpose, broken, and we're okay with it. There's still some green left on the tree, and we cling to that, but we're not serving our purpose We're we're not living life to the fullest. That tree was not serving its purpose. It was dead for all intent purposes. It was dead even though it lived. That's exactly what the Bible says. And and we can live, there were were green branches that were still growing from this tree because it was barely sourced in its roots. And that's not what God has for us. God wants us to have an abundant life, he says in John 10.10. And sometimes it takes God's grace to wake us up to realize that's where we are, that we're not serving our purpose. That though we're not dead and there may be some evidences of life in our life, there's nothing abundant about us. And God in His grace will reveal to us the true condition of our heart. And sometimes it takes God's grace doing that in order for us to wake up in order for us to do anything about it. And in God's grace, here in Deuteronomy 7 and 8, God has revealed Himself. He has made Himself available for a relationship, but we have to relate to Him on His terms. We don't get to relate to Him as He wants, or or we don't get to think of Him as we wish, or as we want to think. We have to think right thoughts. We have to think of Him. We have to worship Him as He has revealed Himself. And we looked at some of chapter 7 last week, but 7 and 8 really tie together, and so I didn't want to miss this truth. It is a challenging, yet wonderful and loving truth, as God relates to, as He cares, as He shepherds His people. And I hope, as always, that we will come come out of here today loving God more Worshipping Him more than, and more deeply and, and more gratefully than we did when we came. As we see this truth today. Just one more truth in a long list that we'll see of how great our God is. And the central truth, you'll see it there on your handout, is this. I, I, I'm going to break the mold. There's no three points. There's not, it's just one, again, one truth. That we see in chapter 7 and in chapters 8. And it's this. God will sometimes test our devotion to Him in order to reveal to us what our true heart condition is. There are times that God will take us through something and He will do things that are geared solely to show us the condition of our heart. Don't. There's a caution when I say that, there's a big difference, hear me, between testing and tempting. And you can go to James 1, you can go to Romans 5. God's not doing this to get us to sin. He's doing this to show us, to reveal to us our true heart condition, where our heart really is. So please keep this. Don't go to tempting. That's, Satan does that. James 1 says the Father doesn't tempt. This is, this is to reveal a heart. And this is good. The outcome is good. You can go to James 1. You can go to Romans 5. The outcome is good. And with great privilege comes great responsibility. And Moses has been communicating this to Israel. Again, this is a new generation. The old generation has died in the wilderness. and new generation is on the cusp of entering the promised land. And Moses repeatedly commands them to fear the Lord. To obey the Lord. We saw last week he commands them to drive out these enemy nations, to utterly destroy them. And that's part of what I want to speak to today because I didn't get a chance to really talk about that last week. And Moses tells us in Deuteronomy 7 why. Because our tendency is to forget. Why do we not join up with the world? Why do we, draw, why do we drive the world out? Why do we separate ourselves? Why? Because our tendency has become like the world. Our tendency is to wander away from the truths of the Lord, to become more like the world than we are like Christ. And Moses is establishing some safeguards here for the people of Israel. He's, he's, these are good safeguards, just like some of you fence in your backyard. That's a good thing. It's for their protection. It's there for safety. And what we see here in chapter 7 and in chapter 8 are for their good. It's safeguards to guide them because their privilege is great, but their responsibility is great. And God knows what His people are like. He's already told him in chapter 6, when you go into that land, just you're going to become arrogant. You're going to become proud. You're going to think you deserved it. You're going to think you did all this. The same is true for us today. We, we go from sinners to saved by grace. And uh, over time, we, we look at sinners like we weren't one of them except for by grace. It's grace. He says, you're going to respond to grace inappropriately. You're going to respond to grace in an unworthy manner. You're going to get arrogant where you should be humble. You're going to be arrogant. And and you can look back and see it. He says the same thing he said in chapter 6. He says it in chapter 8. Beware that, in verse 11, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and ordinances and His statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied, the same word is used in chapter 6, satisfied, and have built good houses and lived in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and your gold multiply, and all that, that multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord. He knows. And Moses is a wonderful teacher here. He's building, as he converses, he's building to teach Israel, to show them what's in their hearts. The best teacher is one that can lead you and you come to that conclusion. You realize what he's showing you. They realize it. And, and he, he says in, in, in verse, start in chapter 8. Look at chapter 8. He says, All the commandments that I am commanding you today shall be careful to do them, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that He humbled you, testing you to know what was in your heart, that you would keep His commandments or not. You can go all the way back there. What He's referencing is referenced in chapter 6, in verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Massa, you should diligently keep the commands. Massa was a place where God was testing Israel. He was showing Israel what was in their hearts. Ironically, Israel, in their sinfulness, they twisted the test and tried to turn it into a test of God. God is trying to show them what is in their hearts and in their sinfulness. They take that situation and really try to twist it and in, in demand that God prove Himself. He's trying to prove Israel, and He's proving Israel, and they turn it into an, a situation where they say, No, God, You proved us who You are. That's how sinful we are. And, and they say, No, God, You prove who You are. You prove whether You love us. You prove all this by indulging our fleshly appetites, our fleshly physical desires. And Moses is reminding them, don't do this. This is a new generation. And he's saying, do not do what your forefathers did. Do not do that. You, you can see an exact account of this in in Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. We're not going to read it for the sake of time. But you can also see it in, in Psalm 95 as I was studying... Um, This week, just on my own and for a different Bible study, God is good. I ran across this in Psalm 95, verses 8 through 11. Listen to what the psalmist writes: "Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen my work. They they they've seen God's work. They've seen that He loves them. They've seen evidences, and they still tested Him for 40 years. Listen to what He says." For 40 years, this is the Lord speaking, I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their heart. We saw last week that the problem is our heart. And they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter into my rest. They didn't see the promised land. They, they were to be proven, they were to be refined, they were to be made to be pure by the Lord, that was his goal, and instead, here they are testing the Lord. And the point Moses is making is this, we are inviting the Lord to discipline us when we openly and unbelievingly question his abilities, or when we defy defy his authority. We're asking the Lord to discipline us. We are asking for trouble. And Moses is saying, Do not do what your forefathers did. After God had delivered them from Egypt, he deliberately led them through difficulties so he could teach them to trust him. And the people consistently responded with a lack of trust. They responded to their difficulties with accusations against the character of God, against the nature of God. They grumbled. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They questioned Him and said, have you let us out here to kill us? God was showing them what was in their heart. And by their attitudes and by their actions, they were defying. They were not ready to enter the promised land. And God says, you're not going to enter the promised land like that. They were asking the Lord to discipline them. And God was revealing them this this principle that is true for them and true for us. Sometimes your body can be in one place and your heart can be in another. Israel was out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't out of their heart. They were physically out of Egypt, but their heart was still in Egypt. Because it was comfortable. they were used to it. He had, he had given them, he, he, he had given them escape, an exodus. Their bodies were in the camp of the Lord, in the wilderness with the Lord, but their hearts were still in Egypt. And in graciousness, in his graciousness, the Lord revealed them, revealed to them what was in their heart. And yet they turned that into an opportunity to try to question and test the Lord instead. And I thought about this. How many masses are in my life? How many masses are in your life? Times when the Lord, in His grace, was simply showing you, Chris, you're not quite where you think you are. Chris, I'm going to do a spiritual EKG on you, and, and you've got some heart problems. And yet, because of those heart problems, I turned that into an opportunity to question the Lord. And I try to question His goodness. How many times maybe are our bodies in one place, but our hearts are in another? How many times physically are we present somewhere, but our hearts wish we were somewhere else? Maybe even here today. How many times do we openly just question the Lord and His character and His goodness? We're asking for trouble. And what Moses is saying is, look, sometimes the Lord tests our faith. He exposes our hearts. But these are not just in the great crises of life. Uh, Oftentimes, for most of us, and more often, it's in the small things, the unexpected events in life, in the traffic delays, the unrecognized dreams, irritations, interruptions to our schedules, illnesses. I thought about this uh, this week and, and just with illnesses, and I, and I, don't, I don't say that lightly. I, I want to say I appreciate the way that the, the Hales and Seth and their family are, are walking through this illness. I, I appreciate Terry and Carolyn Scott sending out an email praising the Lord. And thanking a church for praying for them. That they sent out a report that, that the cancer is, is, is not growing. That, that the, the, the doctors believe that even with continued treatment it will shrink. But, but I appreciate the spirit in which Terry and Carolyn have faced cancer. And, and many more of you. But those things reveal our hearts. God uses them to expose our hearts. And and our response to life's situations and circumstances is an indication of the true nature, true condition of our heart. How we respond is an indication of our heart. Moses is telling them and he's telling us what life does to us depends on what life finds in us. What's in us? If we love and trust the Lord, we, we leave the matter up to to His sovereignty and we trust His sovereignty and we continue worshiping. We understand he's, he's good and He's loving and all those things. Believing and trusting that no matter what, that God is good. If we don't trust, guess what? We question Him. We get mad at Him. We get anger at angry at Him. He's just revealing what's in our hearts. And you see it in verse 2. Remember all the way of chapter 8, which the Lord your God led you in the wilderness these 40 years. He's saying, you don't think God did all that for bad? Look at 40 years he was faithful to you, that he might humble you. But part of the reason why he did that, he's humbling you. Testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And, and, and hear me well, hear me well. Tests do not, are not meant to show God what is in our heart. Tests show us what is in our heart. He knows what's in our hearts. He doesn't need to find out what's in our hearts. He knows, and that's what He's doing to them. That might be what He's doing graciously to some of us. He knew what was in their hearts. The problem is, I don't know what is in my heart. And you don't know what is in your heart. Look, look with me at Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, listen, this is a description of all of our hearts. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's our heart. You, you can look at 1 Corinthians 4, 4. Paul says, hey, I'm not aware of anything that, I, that I've done to be offensive. He says, but you know what? I'm not acquitted by that. Why? Because it's the Lord that tests my heart. He says, I'm, I'm deceitful. I can deceive myself. And our hearts are desperately wicked. That's why we need a transplant. We need a new heart. And and Moses, his concern here revolves around the motivation of their actions. It's the why more than the what. Why are you doing? That's what we saw last week with the heart. They had heart issues and they didn't know it. And God in His graciousness was revealing it to them so they could repent, so they could be restored, that He would refine them, that He would burn off the dross, that He'd burn off all the impurities. They would seek Him and understand, we got heart problems, we need You, Lord. We're not quite who we think we are. And God was very willing and gracious to make sure that they saw themselves as God saw them, works and all. And He does the same with us. And what Moses teaches them here is, and he's teaching us, is that God in time, at times will intentionally orchestrate or allow things in order to expose our heart. He will sometimes intentionally orchestrate it, or he will allow it in order to expose our heart. And this was good. It was refining them. It was disciplining them. But to show, the point was to show them, this is what your heart is made of. He was, he was, in this case, he was revealing the shallowness of their commitment. And, and the goal, Moses says here in, in chapter 8 is, of these tests, is not only to expose their heart, but to refine and to discipline them by burning off, again, all the impurities. It was to refine and it was to discipline. Look, look what he says, verse 3 in chapter 8. He humbled you and let you be hungry. He fed you with manna which you did not know, nor your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. By the way, that is the exact verse that Jesus quoted in Matthew 4 when Satan tries to tempt Jesus. Hey, turn these stones into, ro- into bread. Jesus says, man doesn't live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Your clothing, verse 4, did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. He's saying your shoes lasted as well. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. He was disciplining them. He was refining them. Look, verse 7, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. This is for your good. Look with me at First Peter, uh, I think it's 1, I, I think it's First Peter 1, verse 6 and 7. I didn't give them the chapter there. I'm pretty sure it's First Peter 1. Yes, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice. Listen to this. In this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Listen. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We matter to God. His people matter. And He treasures them, it says. He wants the best for them. He wants, at the end of the day, to expose their hearts so that He can bless them and they will be more like Him. We're we're precious. And He wants our hearts to be clean and pure and refined. And and this is where it can get tough at times. I mean, Peter writes, he says, their various trials. They were going through it. They're not fun. Wandering in that wilderness probably wasn't fun. But God is saying we have to trust God that what he's doing and allow, or allowing is ultimately for our good. What he is doing is ultimately for our good. He will superabound over whatever happens to us to bring about good. If he, Sometimes he specifically orchestrates it like he says here in Deuteronomy 8. Sometimes He takes what Satan means for evil and he, and he sees over it to bring about good. You see that in Genesis 50. He says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. E- even in our sin, even in our bad decisions, even in our wonderings, He is sovereign and He orchestrates that and brings about our good. You See, You guys meant totally evil when you, when you sold your brother Joseph into slavery. He says, you know why I allowed that to happen? For this day right here so that I'd provide for you and your family when there was a famine. You meant it for evil. Why? Because you got a bad heart. I meant it for good. And I'm using this moment to refine you. And, and the fact that God disciplines us tells us that He cares for us. A Proverbs three, you, we've seen uh, Hebrews 12 many times, but look at Proverbs three, verses 11 and 12. "My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, or loathe His reproof. For whom the Lord loves, He reproves, even as a father corrects the Son in whom He delights. He delights in you, believer? He's refining you. He's proving you. He's burning off all the impurities. What he was showing Israel in Deuteronomy is that a full stomach doesn't ensure life. You can be full, you can be well fed, that doesn't mean your heart is right. That doesn't mean you love me. That doesn't mean I'm happy with you. Life is not found in food that one eats. Life is found in obeying and worshipping the Lord in a right relationship with the Lord. That's what he's saying. Israel was God's chosen people. We are God's chosen people. As His chosen people, He cares for us more than we realize and meets our every need. Even when we wander in sin, He still meets our need. I, I would challenge you, go read the book of Hosea. It is a picture of God's relationship to Israel. Hosea is God, Gomer is Israel. And you see there, even when Gomer chases after other lovers... And, and, and all that, Hosea still goes and provides for her. That's exactly the picture of what God did for Israel. That's exactly the picture God does for us. Even in our wonderings, He's faithful. Even when we manipulate things and twist things, He's faithful. Why? Because He loves us. And, he, and He's offered a covenant love for His people. And He's saying, I can be trusted. Trust me. Just trust me. As a child... We we didn't and, and as a as a person who has children, children don't understand what their parents are doing. Children don't understand when I say, Bradley, you can't have Sarah, Bradley, you can't have your night Snickers bar today. Whoa, they don't understand that. You can't just eat junk food; you have to eat nourishing food. No, you can't go there. Yes, they don't understand. But but as a father, my perspective is different. I care for them. I love them. I want what's best for them. In the same way, we as children, we don't understand what God is doing at all times, but His perspective is different. And His goals are always good. Always good. And what He wanted was a a people who were totally trusting of their Father, the Lord God. And, And our response matters israel's response was to collect the manna to eat it and to be sta- sustained and on saturday they would collect two times as much because he would not provide it on sunday they had to trust him their response mattered our response is to eat of god's word that's the manna that's what jesus was saying man doesn't live on bread alone by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god it's man, this is manna this is nutrients this is sustenance and in both cases, whether it was Israel and the physical manna or us in the Word of God, our relationship to the Word of God is an indicator of our relationship to the God of the Word. How we respond to the Word of God is an indicator of our response and our relationship with the God that this Word is about. You don't just neglect this Word and say, Oh, I love the Lord with all my heart. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's what He's revealing to them. It's a heart problem. We relate to God right here. Right here. Whether it's prayer, whether it's fellowship, reading the Word, it all goes back to the Word of God. This is how we relate. And our relationship to this Word is an indicator of our relationship to God. Just like Israel's response to God's commands, this is what you're going to do. It was an indicator of their relationship to God. Will I trust Him? Do we trust God? And, and the, the test of Deuteronomy 8, he's referring back to their forefathers, but the test in the present for this generation began in chapter 7. He, he, that's why, that's why we're, I'm, I'm saying we're covering 7 and 8. We're about to go back to chapter 7 because for, for their forefathers... It was was the manna. For this present generation, it's this separate yourself from the world. Separate yourself from all the foreign inhabitants of the land. Get rid of them. He says to utterly destroy them. And the reality is, is that this command, though striking, is nothing new for God's people, even in the New Testament. to to, to be diligent to not allow yourself to be stained by the world. You can go to 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through chapter 7, 1. You go all over. We're to be separate. And you can start with Abraham all the way to the present here in Deuteronomy. The people of Israel were expected to be a separated people. They were expected to be a unique, different people. Why? Because they were God's people. It wasn't because they were better than the other nations. It was because they were different from all the other nations. They were different. They were God's chosen people. They belonged to Him. And the idea of separation can be and is seen in Israel to be one of the more deceptive ways that Satan will attack us. We gradually become more and more and more like the world and we don't even notice it. And we think we're one thing, and we ask for another. We think because we're in the promised land, our heart is there and our heart is not there. We think our heart and devotion is for the Lord and really it's for something else. And the truth is that by commanding separation, God was protecting them. Why? Because he knew their hearts. He knew that they would become like the world and that they would worship false gods. Look, look at Deuteronomy eight nineteen. He was protecting them. He says, start up in um, start up in 16. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers didn't know, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good in the end. See, the, the goal was to do good in the end. Otherwise, this is why. This is why I'm protecting you. This is why I did this. You say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this well. See, they became proud when they should have been humble. But you shall remember the Lord your God. It is He who is giving you the power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant which He swore to your forefathers. As it is in this day, it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish. God is protecting them. He's protecting them. He was, he was setting them apart from the false gods that he would not have to punish them. Just like, again, when you fence in your backyard or when you put boundaries around your children, you're doing that for their good. I, I, I say to... I, I, I think sometimes, and I, and I know I probably gave this attitude to my parents and someday I'll be brave enough to repent, but I'm, like, I'm, I'm thinking, Bradley, Sarah, I'm not a moron. I've been there, done that. I know what it's like to be young. I know what you're going to do. I did it. And God is saying that, look, I I created you. I know what you're going to do. If if you leave them alone, if you leave them there, you're going to leave me. You're going to wander away. They're going to entice you. And he's doing it for safety. Oh, oh, I, I wonder all the time. Oh, if my kids would just trust me, if they would just trust me. Oh, and, and then yet the Holy Spirit would say, yeah, your Heavenly Father is thinking that same thing about you, Chris. Oh, if He would just trust me. Trust. And, and look at Moses communicates in chapter 7 some blessings that came. This was all about blessing. He is looking after His people in chapter 7. Look, look at me what separation, the blessings of the separation. Verses 1 through 6, separation brought safety. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it and clears away the nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergeshites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the, Hiv- Hivatite, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall surely, utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. Here's why. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. You see the safety? Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will quickly destroy you. But thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, hew down their ashram, and burn their graven images of fire. Here's why. Verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Why be separated? Because you're holy. Why is 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 7, 1? Why be separated? 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16. Be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. Peter is quoting Le- Leviticus eleven forty four, and he's teaching the same exact point that Moses would have been quoting here. You're a holy people. And this is the essential aspect of the test for that current generation. Do you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you obey me? Will you be a separated people? If you don't, trust me, they're going to turn you away from the Lord and then I'm going to have to punish you. Same thing Paul says in, I, I thought about that this morning, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Do not be deceived. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Bad company corrupts good morals. We saw that. You're going to be like who you hang around. Don't do it, but trust me. He's saying, you're you're my people. And that's the point of everything here. You're a holy people. You were chosen by God. Look at verse four, Deuteronomy 14, he says the same thing. You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave your forehead for the sake of the dead. He said, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. He has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples. Why don't you act like the world? Because you're not like the world. You're chosen. You are to be like your Father, Holy. And separation, what he's saying, it's the same for us. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6. And hear me, separation doesn't mean isolation. We can't be a light. We can't be salt. We can't be these things if we isolate ourselves. We are to be in the world, not of the world. We are to be insulated, not isolated. The job of us is to eat the word of the Lord, to feed, to be fellowship, to have intimacy, so that we can go into the world and not be like the world. We can go into the cold, and the cold doesn't get us. That's exactly why you wear a jacket. You put put jackets on your kids. Why? So they can go into the cold, but the cold doesn't get into them. That's exactly what this word does. It insulates us. So that I can go into the world, and the world doesn't get in me. And, And what we are called to be is separated from sin and the world system, but still be involved in the world. We're to be separate, but involved. We're to live alongside our neighbors, but we are not to worship what our neighbors worship. Biblical separation, what he's saying here is biblical separation is contact without contamination. We're to be in contact with the world, but we are not to become like the world. And it's for our own safety. Why? Because we'll find ourselves worshiping things we shouldn't worship. And I dare say, if we were honest, all of us have things in our lives that we worship that we should not worship. Let's be honest. All of us who are... Warm blood, many of us, let's say that. We're going to go home this afternoon at some point and sit in front of the TV. We're going to watch a bunch of football. I mean, I, I, I don't have any nails from last night's college, yesterday afternoon's college game. That's how much I care. I told Karen, I said, I'm literally mad at myself for caring the way I care about Florida State football. I try not to care. But I don't have any nails left. I don't want to care. I I mean, sometimes I will go to bed in the middle of the game so I don't watch it just to try to help me not care. I care. Because I, and and I, I don't, I don't, I will sit there in front of the TV for hours and watch a Florida State game. Will I study this word? Will I serve? Will I do the things that God's word commands me to do with the same fervor, the same intensity? Separation brought safety. There was safety, but separation also brought blessing. And if you look at verses 7 through 16, God makes it very clear that there is blessing. He's, look at verse 12. Then it shall come about, if you do them, verse 11, if you do them, he, God is faithful, and if you're faithful, when you do these, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you His covenant and His loving kindness, which He swore. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. It brought tremendous blessing. God chose Israel and it was all of grace and it's the same for us. And He he wanted to bless. There's tremendous parallels between Israel and the church. They are separate, they are distinct, but there are tremendous parallels. And what He's telling Israel and what He's telling us is separation is the response to God's gracious choosing he chose us. That's what the word choosing means. It means to, to really to, to pull out, to pick out. I want that one. I, I remember when I went and I was a boy and, and, and my parents allowed me to get a beagle. And, and we went, one of my dad's customers bred beagles and we went, there were about 10 dogs there. And, and I chose one. I just chose him. I said, come on, I will take care of you. I will love you. I will feed you. I will take care of you for the rest of your life. I thought about that. I I could have picked any. I picked that one. Now, all illustrations break down at some point, but God chose you. He's made it very clear to Israel. I chose you. You were the least expected. The, The little beagle that I chose, he was the runt. The, the guy had said, Nobody want, nobody's going to want that dog. I said, I want that dog then. That, that's literally, Israel would have been proverbially the runt of the litter. Nobody would have wanted them. Nobody would have picked Israel. God says, I'm going to pick Israel, and then I'm going to bless their socks off, and so everyone will know what? That I'm an awesome God. Guess what he did? He said, I'm going to pick Chris as well. I'm going to bestow my salvation on Chris. Chris. Why? Because they, they know Chris ain't got nothing good in him. I'll create something good in him, and that way I'll get all the glory. And Moses encourages their obedience and response with two truths, two truths, or, or three truths, rather. They're on your handout. Remember what God has done for you in the past. That's what he says in 7.18. He says, you shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all to Egypt, the great trials which your eyes saw, signs and wonders in the mighty hand your Lord God brought you out of. Remember what he's done in the past. Recognize what he's doing in the present. Verse 20, moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet against them until those who are left hide themselves and you perish. He's talking about the present. Thirdly, recognize your responsibility to engage the world and remain unstained. And that's what he says. My response, my responsibility. Verse 21. Do not dread them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away the nations for you little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly for the wild beasts to grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them before you. He's saying you, you have a part to play in this. You have to respond with obedience. If you respond in obedience... I'll take care of it. Moses saying God's been faithful in the past. He's faithful in the present. Guess what? He'll be faithful in the future. And separation, just like we saw a couple weeks ago, separation came with a blessing if they obeyed, and it came with a curse if they did not obey. And the choice was theirs just like the choice is yours. And and what Moses is telling them as I close is this. Separation is simply living up to what we are in Christ. We're just living up to who we are in Christ. It was important then, it's important now. I mean, think about this. Even if 97% of Christians chose to obey this and not establish covenants with the world, for God, that would be disobedience. With disastrous consequences, if 97 percent of his people obeyed this, why? Because he's holy, we'd be sending a mixed message. And see, we're OK in our lives if we're 80 percent obeyed. If we're 85, if we do most, we're OK. And what Moses is saying is that's not okay. And until we and what he's saying is, until and unless Christians recover a sense of the incredible privilege we have in being a holy people belonging to God, the the gracious objects of His election, His treasured people, targets of His affection, the understanding of, of the mission that's before us. Until we understand what the greatness of God and the incredible privilege that is, we will not face this world the way that we should. And we'll be okay looking like the world looks. We need to remember. We need to remember who we are. We need to remember what we've been called to. We also need to remember how gracious God has been in choosing. And Paul, just like, it, just like Moses, you can go to the New, the New Testament, Second Peter is all about remembering. He devoted his entire letter to remembering. We need to remember.